We good? Well, if Aubrey will advance the songs by one, we could probably start. <laughs> there you go. Come on in. Have a seat. Said a while. Oh, worship the King of righteous heavenly father we come to you this evening giving you praise for all that you have given to us we're so thankful for 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 the life that we have here we're so thankful for this place that we have we're so thankful for the promise that that, that you gave us through your son that that we would have hope of of seeing you someday we're thankful for the word we're thankful for the power that's in the word that that you sent if we we pray that, that we can always study your word and apply it to our lives. Father, at this time, we, we, we ask you to look down upon the sick in this congregation. It seems like there are so many that, that, are, that are frail and, and sick. We ask you that, that you would bless them and continue to heal them, that, that they might be able to, to regain a reasonable amount of health soon. Father, be with Brother Matt this afternoon as, as he delivers your word. Help him to be, to be strong. Help him to be, to, to be able to, to explain it in a way that we can understand it, that we might be able to apply it to our lives. Father, at this time now, we ask you to forgive us of our sins and go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Help prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. We'll sing Tis Midnight and On On Alps Brow. Tis midnight. time we come to remember the sacrifice that Christ made. Would you please pray with me for the bread? Lord, we're so thankful for the, for the sacrifice that you made, Lord. Lord, the, the bread that you gave to the, the disciples and showed them that it was your body to remember you. Lord, help, help us to at that time, now to, to remember you, Lord, to remember the sacrifice that you made. It's in his name. This time we also pray for the blood. Lord, we thank you for this, the blood that was shed, that with that we are ultimately cleansed of our sins, Lord. We are forever thankful for that. In his name, amen. This time, a matter of convenience, we uh, pray for the offering. Lord, we thank you so much for the, the many gifts, the many blessings that you've presented upon us. And so many of those are material and financial. Lord, we understand that 
That's not our goal, but it is a necessity in the lives that we live. Lord, help us to take a portion of that and give it back to you, to give it back to the church and help it to further spread your word and, and let all know of you. It's in your son's name. Okay, 415, 415. Sing all three verses. Each step I take, my Savior goes before. Yeah. 
All right, we are in Colossians. We'll be in chapter 2 tonight, uh, finishing our study on the uh, letters written by Paul while he was in prison. I want you to really be thinking about um, Philippians, especially uh, when we talk about some of this stuff we're going to see in chapter 2 tonight, actually right at the beginning of chapter 2. Remember when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he was saying that he was pretty sure at some point he was going to get to go and see them, even though he was in the situation he was in. He just felt like at some point he was going to get to go and see them, which we discussed. Um, that's not actually what ended up happening. Um, he has a little bit different feeling uh, with the church of uh, Colossae. So just want you to be thinking about that, considering that um, as we as we go uh, through this study tonight. So I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it tonight. For uh, Verse 1. For I wanted you to know how great... Is this normally sitting up like this? This feels so weird. That's how I like it. Okay, we're going to do that. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face. Remember we were talking about that too. How... The Church of Colossae, they, they probably, most of them at least, probably never actually got to have a relationship with Paul from a face-to-face -face level, even though um, the other churches that we studied, being Ephesus and Philippi, um, knew Paul very well. In fact, he had a special relationship with elders and things like that. <clears throat> so he says, For all who have not seen me face-to-face, -face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. In Christ. This morning we talked about hope and the powerful steadfastness of hope. It's the hope that allows us to persevere in tough times. It's hope that allows us to get through things that we honestly sometimes don't think we can even get through ourselves, right? That's, that is what hope does. I want you to see tonight that what Paul is really focusing on is the idea of faith and what faith does. And if you look right here, here's the first thing he says, is the firmness of your faith in Christ. He wants your faith to be firm. But before we get there, how many of you have full assurance? Not full insurance. <laughs> how many of you have full assurance? How many have full assurance? Right? This is what he's saying. He wants you, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, right? And then it reminds me of Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Faith is being sure, sure of what we hope for and certain of the things that we do not see, right? How many of us have full assurance 
Not, again, talking about what we talked about a little bit this morning, not a 50-50 flip of the coin. Well, is there no God ever, or is there a God? And out of those gods that we choose from, who's the one that makes most sense to me? Do you have full assurance? Are you sure? Are you sure that the God that you serve is the real, true, one, living God? He wants you to have full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And what is that mystery? Well, it's not so mysterious to us. Most of us grew up hearing about this guy, right? Named Jesus Christ. It's old news to many of us. But it changed the world in this day and age. Who'd ever heard of God coming down to earth, dwelling in the form of man? What kind of crazy God do you worship? That's, that, go look at the graffiti of Jesus Christ from the ancient times. Go look at some of the earliest graffiti of Jesus Christ. That's what they mocked the most. These crazy Jews, they think God came and became a man. What God would come and become a man? You got demigods, you got half gods that are half man, half God, but not really ever fully man. What is this that you're talking about? It was a mystery to them. Now when you... Fast forward 2,000 years and you look back at all these ancient religions and you look back at even some of the more new age religions and then you compare it to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Which one actually makes more sense? Which one actually is the God that you want to serve, you want to follow, you want to be like? The gods who are up there living their own life, doing whatever they want and we're just kind of a product, a byproduct, a side product? Or the God, or should I say the Son of God, that loved you so much that he wanted to know everything there was to know about you. So he came and actually lived a life that was as close to the life you live as possible. So as the Hebrew writer says, he can understand every single thing we've ever been through in our lives. Does that sound so crazy? Now, the reason why being sure is so important to Paul is think about his life. He's been persecuted by every person. We've, we've discussed this many times, right? He's been persecuted by every, every side of the argument. From the Jews of the Jews, to the members of the church, to the Gentiles. Everywhere he goes, he's being persecuted. Everywhere he goes, he's being questioned. Everywhere he goes, somebody doesn't really believe he is who he says he is. Right? How many times was he shipwrecked? How many times was he beat? How many times was he in prison? Right? He didn't have the, the most kosher life. It wasn't like everywhere he went was like the island of... Uh, of, of now I just went blank. Malta? Platmos? Which one was it? Where he got bit by the snake. Somebody help me. Well, look it up later. Malta, thank you. So it was my first guess, but it whew, went blank for a minute. Sorry, guys. 
you know, where they wanted to worship him. Not everything was like that. In fact, if Paul was not confident in his calling, in other words, if Jesus had not blinded him, called him out on the road to Damascus, changed his life in that very way, how sure would he have been? Well, he was sure enough in God before that ever happened to be the leader of the persecutors of the church. To protect Yahweh, or at least that's what he thought he was doing, right? See, I am convinced that when he says full assurance, to reach all the riches of full assurance. This isn't, this isn't um, a great way to start chapter 2, right? And we know the numbers in the, in the chapters weren't in there. But this wasn't a great way to start this part of what he's talking about. This is a super important part of everything else he's about to say for the rest of the letter. Full assurance. To be truly sure. If he wasn't sure, would he have given up? Listen. <laughs> If you go on a trip, and you think God has told you to go on a trip, right? I know that's a little foreign, right? How many of you have went on a trip because you thought God told you to go on a trip? It doesn't happen every day, okay? But if you go on a trip because you think God has told you to go on a trip, that's why Paul did what he did, right? And you get shipwrecked. Are you going to take that as a sign from God that maybe you're not doing what he said? Or are you going to take that as, yeah, I better keep going, right? I mean... And then you show up to the place that you went to after you got shipwrecked and you get beat. And then after you get beat, you get in prison. Then after you get in prison, you get, you get spared. You escape with your life to the next city in the next town. And guess what happens? On your way there, you get shipwrecked. And when you show up to the city, you get beat. And then after you get beat, you get imprisoned. Paul had to be sure, or he would have never finished the race. He had to be sure. You know, thanks be to God, right, that my life isn't as hard as what Paul had to go through. But there's still been plenty of times in my life, and I'm only 40, right? There's been plenty of times in my life where I've went through something hard enough that if I was not sure in the God that I was following, if I was not sure, not that, not that God was, this was my best chance or, or this one made the most sense, right? I was sure, I was sure based on the word of God, how it affected my life, how it changed me and how it affected and changed the people around me because of what it was doing through me, right? I am sure, if I was not sure, there were times in my life, I can easily say, me and my wife at times struggled enough where we would have fallen away. Because that's what life does. It throws you curveballs. Right? It throws you things you never planned on, you never saw coming, you never thought would actually happen. And if you are not sure in God, Satan will use those moments to lure you away. So I want to pick up in verse 5 and then we'll read through the next uh, few verses. For though I am absent in body, because he still hasn't been there, right? But actually, let me, let, me, um, 
Let me focus on verse 1 for another second because I actually passed that up. I just want you to see for a second, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. When he wrote to Philippi, he was struggling, but he also had this encouragement that he was going to actually get to see them again. The struggle I believe he's talking about here is he's not really sure if he's ever even going to get to meet these people. Okay, so I just wanted to, I wanted to see that. That was a side note, but I wanted to throw that out there. Verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness, the firmness, because they are sure, their firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established, see that, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Look, find the things of God that you can plant yourself in and root yourself in those things. It's so important. We're, we're, I'm working on, a, on a, um, a sermon series right now to where maybe we can help you find those things. Maybe we can help put you in the right place to succeed here at North Brevard Church Christ, right? But find those things that you are called to in the Word of God, that you are drawn to, those things that really stand out to you. And plant yourself in them. Allow them to take root. Allow them to cause growth in your life. You know, one of my favorite things to do, I don't, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but you know, I've told you I was a, a strong studier of the word when I was very young. I don't have my original first Bible I ever owned, but I have my second. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm a big highlighter guy, if you can't tell by my uh, sermon notes here. I'm a big highlighter guy. I'm a big underlying guy. When something sticks out to me, I highlight it. I underline it. I learned in college that that meant I loved the book that I was reading. If you mark it up, you love it. Maybe you agree with that. Maybe you don't. But that's me. And one of my favorite things to do is go back in my, in my Bible that I used to study all through college and everything and look at those verses that drew drew me to the word, right? That planted me in the word, that, that really hit home with me in the word. And what's funny is, some of those still do. Some of those are still my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And then in other chapters of the Bible, the, the, the parts that stand out to me are completely different now. That's because this word that we read, it's, it's active, it's, it's living, it's working on you, just like we have hope we have a word that is alive it's the word of God if your favorite if the part that sticks out to you is the same 20 years later I will be shocked I will be surprised because your life should be in a very different place 20 years later as you're growing in the Lord, maturing in His Spirit, right? As your faith is becoming established. So how firm is your faith? How established 
Is your faith, you say, what do you mean by established? Not, not like, when was it established, right? I mean, that's what I think about when I think of established. You always see the signs on the, on the, on the walls of different businesses, right? And it'll say, established in... Well, if that's the case, then my faith is 24 years old. My faith is 28 years old, give or take a couple of years. However you want to say it. But to be established in your faith really doesn't mean when did it start. It really means when did it take root? When did it take hold? When did it actually become what your life was actually about? When did you move out of the physical into the spiritual? When did the physical become less important than the spiritual that's actually happening in your life? What's more important? You know, Jesus asked the Pharisees what was more important too. He said, what's more important, the gold that the temple's in or the God that's in the temple? What's more important? What did he actually tell the Pharisees? He says, actually, to you, the gold in the temple is actually more important than the God. Why? Because you swear by the gold on the temple. What are you, is your faith established? Is it rooted? Is it building you up? Is it what your life is surrounded in? Now I want to tell you, if you are ever talking to a friend, if you're ever trying to lead a friend to Christ, if you're ever trying to show them the gospel in a very short, concise message, this is the part of Colossians that you need to write down, put it in the back of your Bible, whatever you do, and remember it. This is one of the best good news, gospel um, sections of scripture in the Bible, in my opinion. Okay? So we're going to break it down real, real quick, but most of us already know this very well, but Colossians 2 is, is, a, is a very powerful scripture. It is completely about the good news. So let's read it. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So, so obviously, even in our world today, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according, not according to Christ, this is not something new. It's something that's happening today, right now. It's something that's been happening since the beginning of time, really, right? There's always been these philosophies. There's always been these human traditions. There's always been all this stuff that takes you and tries to bring you to a different place than Christ. There's always... Always all these distractions. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Remember what I was saying earlier? This is the biggest way the church got picked on in the, in, in the, at the beginning. They had all these ideas established on what God was. There was no argument on what God was. You might argue about who God is or how many gods there are, but there was no argument on what God was. And you know what? There wasn't a single writing about God before Jesus Christ that had God dwelling in human form. Not fullness. Not, not the fullness of God. You see that? That's exactly what he's talking to. That's exactly what he's talking about. It is no different. See, the philosophy has changed, right? 
Because now, 2,000 years later, actually the most established word for religion in this world still today is Jesus Christ. You want to talk about God? And people know about God and religion and philosophy of the times. Jesus Christ is going to be part of that conversation. So the philosophy, the deceit, the way to take you captive is different now than it was then. They don't, they don't make fun of it because God was a man. How silly are you to think that God could become a man? Like I said, you start reading it all, you start looking at everything else. This is the one that actually leans towards, man, I kind of like this God. The God that's actually interested in me. The God that actually wants to know about me, right? This is why this is such an important chapter when leading people to Christ. But the philosophy is different now. Now they say, how do you know? How can you be 100% sure? And it's not really even that they're saying that. It's really that they're saying, prove it. Prove it. Prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Prove it that, so, so I can no longer question it. Well, good luck doing that with any God. In fact, the terms of the Bible make it evidently clear that you will never 100% be able to prove God. Or else, why would you need faith? Why would there be something like hope? What did Paul say? If I have already experienced the hope that I receive, it wouldn't be hope anymore. If I could prove to you without a shadow of a doubt, 100% that God is real and that it is Jesus Christ, that he was the son of God, you don't have any reason for hope and you have no reason for faith anymore because faith is being sure of what we do not see and certain of what we hope for. So they say you can't, ever, you can't really know. And then what does it lead to after that? If you can't really know, then how could God judge you if you're chasing this God, that God, or the other God? And it, becomes, and it goes back to what we've been discussing for many months now, this idea of universalism. This isn't an old philosophy either. This is a philosophy that I learned about 20 years ago in college, about hundreds of years ago in philosophy. It's basically that all paths of God lead to the same God because we're all so dumb that we can't figure out who the real God is. That's why it takes you captive. You see, it's not a really a means for debate. It's not really even a means to, um, to, to get you thinking about God. It's a trap. It's a trap. People can't prove to you any more than I can prove to you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that their God is God, or that there was never ever a God to begin with. It's a trap. And boy, if you're not paying attention to the kids right now, you see that one that I underlined that says elemental spirits? Boy, is that big right now. It's big. Should look into that a little bit. 
it falls under the category of new age for me. I just call it all new age. It's all new age. It's actually old. But they've made it new. Right? Like I said before, you can get Christian tarot cards now. <clears throat> Verse 9. Get off my soapbox. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. See that? He's going right to that argument that we made earlier. You're silly because you think God was born a human. How silly are you? And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now I want you to think about this. First of all, you have been filled in two different ways. One, you know that when you are baptized into Christ, right, which he's going to get to in the next part of this, right? When you are baptized into Christ, you receive forgiveness of sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, very good, right? So when you are filled, one, you are filled obviously with the Holy Spirit, right? God is taking you and you are becoming the temple of God and he is filling you with his presence, okay? Two, before God, what purpose did you have? Before God, what were you living for? Before God, what kind of hope did you have? And we could go through actually a list of things that God has filled you with because of your belief in him. Okay? So I want you to see that. All right? The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision. <coughs> That's a tongue twister. Made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, right? So again, he's talking to the Jew of Jews out there, the, that group, that part of the church that's been converted but still wants to hold on to those, what? Human traditions. They're not just human traditions, they're old law traditions, but they're the traditions that they've had, right? And this is the way it's always been. Why would God change the way he does things? This is the way he always did it before. And this part's really important to me because when we're talking about the flesh, we need to understand that our flesh, it's corruptible. It's been corrupted. Okay? And we, as people who are trying to follow God, we have to die. We have to bury that old person. We have to bury that flesh. Okay? We have to bury it. Now listen, that's not to say that when you rise, all of a sudden, your skin's going to fall off. The problem isn't your skin when he's talking about flesh. The problem is you're human. The problem is you're susceptible to sin. The problem is, is that you like to live for yourself and not live so much for God. God kind of gets in the way at times. Right? That's everybody. That's what he's talking about. He compares it to circumcision. That chunk being cut off. That corrupted part being cut off. Right? Not with hands. Not like they want to argue about all through the New Testament. Holding on to those Jewish traditions trying to make all their Gentile brothers, regardless of their age, go through that process. He's not talking about that. 
He's talking about you dying to yourself. Right? Having been buried with him in baptism, we know about that. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So you've got death, you've got burial, and you've got resurrection right there. Death, burial, resurrection. You go to Romans 6, you can tie this all together beautifully. Who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. So you were dead, but you've been forgiven. And here's the really important part. The righteous requirement. You ever read that part? Where Jesus said to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What was your debt? Your righteousness. You're not righteous enough. You, as good as you can ever strive to be, me, as good as I can ever strive to be, will never be righteous enough. That's the debt. That's why Jesus had to come and die to take your place, to take the punishment that you deserved, I deserved, we all deserved, because we could never fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So he canceled your debt with his life. He paid for you with his life. You see that? It's so important to understand that. You couldn't pay for it on your own. It's not something you could do. Why? Because you're flesh. You're corruptible. You can't meet the perfect standard of God. No one has ever been able to do it. Only Jesus, who came, dwelt as a man, lived a perfect life, and died to fulfill your righteous requirement of the law. Okay, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He set it aside. How did he do that? By nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them open to open shame by triumphing over them. You have victory in Christ. All right, now I gotta, I gotta speed it up. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, that's a problem that the New Testament church had. They had all these traditions. They had all these holidays. They had all these festivals and people were trying to differentiate. What's the good ones? What's the bad ones? We still do that today. Some people like Christmas. Some people don't like Christmas. Some people like Halloween. Some people don't like Halloween, right? Some people like Easter. Some people don't like Easter. You can go through the list of things. Some people think it's important still to hold to the traditions of the old law and that the church should still run by that calendar and you should still have feast of booths and the Sabbath and all that type of stuff. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon. A summer solstice or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting in asceticism and worship of angels. Remember I told you they had a cult in this city that worshipped angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. What's the head? Jesus from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth 
that is from God. Goes back to that same thing he's always saying, God causes the growth. If we, Christ, if with Christ you died, look at, look at, how, he, look at how he circles back. This is how this is Paul's so easy sometimes. To, it's actually hard sometimes to preach Paul because his letter just preaches itself so many times. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in, in, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What's he talking about there? He's going back to those human traditions. He's going back to all these things that can take you captive if you let it. Dividing what? Causing harm to what? The body. He even compares it at the very end here, in case you didn't catch it, to people who are actually bringing harm to themselves. When people get really depressed, when they're in a really low spot, sometimes they develop a habit of cutting themselves. Do you know why people cut themselves? Very foreign to me. Okay, I just think about people with diabetes having to give themselves a shot, and that, ooh, gets me going. I don't wanna, I'm not one to bring myself pain. But when you are in such a bad place in your life that you are in such bad grief, sometimes having feeling at all feels good. That's what he's saying at the very end. Don't miss that. He's saying it does nothing to help you. It does nothing to help you. So what helps? Standing firm in your faith in Christ Jesus. Having steadfast in your hope in the promises of things to come. A better city, not made by human hands. And understanding that despite our flaws, despite our struggles, despite who we literally are, because we're human. Even though I can never be righteous, not to meet the standard of the law. Christ came and died for me. And he canceled my debt. That's the gospel. Colossians chapter 2. If that's not part of your scripture to talk to your friends who have not found Jesus yet, I encourage you, put it on your list. Because many of your friends have already went out and tried those human traditions. They've went out and tried that new age stuff. They've went out and got into the spiritual elements and the crystals and all. <laughs> they've looked at the stars and they've looked at the time that they were born and they've done all that. You know what it's led them to? Not much of nothing. It's like every time you open up a fortune cookie and you believe it and you go out and seek that. How many times are you going to find that? You know how many times I've been told I'm about to get a huge gift? 
Never has happened yet. <laughs> so it all goes back to, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in His blood? Have you been buried? Dying of your old self in baptism, having your sins forgiven, receiving, being filled with the Holy Spirit, you becoming the temple of God, God dwelling in you, us together becoming the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. How sure are you part of the body? How sure are you that you are part of the body? How sure are you that we are all going somewhere together and one day, even those who have already left before us, we will all be united again? How much does your life reflect that assuredness? How much are you established and really rooted in your life in Christ? Where are you at? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Are you living an established life in him? If there's a need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing.
Good evening. Yeah, sure good to see you guys. I tell you what. Uh, you know, sometimes I I really try to control myself. Uh, I uh, uh, I wasn't trying to be funny, but uh, you know, uh, I share with Matt on Wednesday nights. Matt, I'm 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 not gonna say too much, so don't. Don't count on me. I told the same thing to Mike Schumann. Mike, don't count on me. But I tell you what, when you start talking about Jesus, I get excited. And the ones who know me know that, hey, that's, that's just going to happen. Ask, seek, knock. That's what we do. And Jesus is there for us. And when you think about this, this thing, it's impossible to please him without faith. And then you think more about this thing. You know, Jesus loved us so much, he didn't wait. He added us to the church. Then you think the gift, the Holy Spirit itself, our guarantor. And what does he guarantee? He guarantees eternal life. God has our back, front, side. He has us covered. All right. I had to get that out. Thank you, thank you, Matt, for, for stirring me up, encouraging me, motivating me. And the people out there who are listening and seeing on the various uh, internet sites, try Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus shares with us how to worship him, what he wants. He gives us his word. That's what to go by. Don't go by all this entertainment, emotion, and, and all these uh, things that satisfy the flesh. We are spiritual beings. Okay. Uh, I didn't cover two people. Nancy Aggie, we need to pray for her. She has a blockage in her legs. Pray for Nancy. And also uh, Bob Spillman. Bob Spillman has various problems. Uh, I'm glad to see him this evening. He has been kind of out, so pray for Bob. Only thing we got coming up that's going to be this week, we have the ladies' luncheon. Uh, it's going to be on Wednesday. Meeting at the church at 11 a.m. to go to Vieira to Longhorn Steakhouse. I think they're going to have a wonderful time. So please continue to, to pray for one another and uh, love God. And I'm going to tell y'all, so I'm going to say this loud and clear. I'm keeping an eye on Chuck. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck kind of stir you guys up. God bless you. you're able, please stand. <clears throat> Let's sing Victory in Jesus and have our closing prayer. I heard an old
Pray with me, please. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here together and to be with you. We thank you knowing that as we close out this service this evening, that you'll also be with us tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and next weekend because wherever we go, that's where you are. And we're so thankful to be able to know that and to be able to call on you and lean on you and have our hope in you. As we depart this evening, we ask you to, for us to be able in our hearts to remember each other and the struggles that we all have one way or another. Encourage us and let us encourage one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.